faithful, and they have a place in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Jesus hasn't forgotten them at all. But Jesus would also mention that the, the prophets, right, they were also important. And, and God used them to prepare the hearts of the kings and the hearts of the people uh, to reconcile with God at key times and also, of course, in future times. So men like those, uh, again, are found in Hebrews 11. And Judges uh, has also several good men and women as well uh, that would you know, be counted as people who were incredible influences on Israel. The Judges and Elisha and, uh, and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of those. Uh, Daniel, man, what a key instrument he was to informing the nation of Israel and us of what is yet to come, right? And he was a faithful man, not too far away from the time of the writing of Malachi. There's also Ezra, right? And, and we have a book of Ezra and Nehemiah and those type of men. So the New Testament speaks a great deal about the relationship of Israel to her fathers, and we don't have time to read every passage, but I want to just run through several of them from the New Testament. There's, there's so many in the Old Testament, I can't begin to just lay them all out for you. But Jesus is speaking to the Jews on how he is the bread of life in John chapter 6. And he wants them uh, to receive him. He's the bread of life. And the problem is they don't want to. They want a sign from him. And so in John 6, 29, verse, uh, the Bible says, Jesus answered, and these will be on the screen, and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom uh, he hath sent. And they, they said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What, doest, uh, what dost thou work? And then they say this in verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, right, they're wanting some bread. I've heard you can feed thousands. Hey, give us some bread. And Jesus says this, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth his life unto the world. He's actually, he's schooling them. He's like, you know, you know that man in the Old Testament? That's just a picture of what I'm going to do for you. That's not even the real thing. That's just a picture. They thought, man, I want a miracle like that. Well, they, they, they are getting ready to see a miracle when Jesus dies on the cross for their sins. And rises from the, the grave on the third day. In the 58, 58th verse of that same chapter, uh, it says, Jesus says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And so he's obviously including um, the fathers of the nation of Israel outside of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus himself is doing that. So that's appropriate uh, to include those Old Testament fathers. So here Jesus defines uh, the fathers, though, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In John chapter 7, and verse 22, he says, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye, uh, on the Sabbath day, circumcise a man. Now, they, were, he, they didn't want him to raise people or heal people on the Sabbath day, but he's like, you guys are observing circumcision on the Sabbath day, and that was given to you not from Moses, even though it's written in the law, that was given to you from your fathers. And he's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The apostles understood this. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, And the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Acts 5.30 says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Now turn to the book of Acts, chapter 7. 
Acts chapter 7. You're going to have to turn to this one. Uh, there's too much to put up on the screen. Acts chapter 7. This one, this one passage is a message by Stephen the deacon. Tonight, by the way, is our deacon installation. So I hope everybody comes back at 6 o'clock. After the, afterward, there's going to be manna from heaven. No, there's going to be a reception, and uh, there will be manna from heaven during the service. Then afterward, we're going to have uh, cookies, I think, and punch. So that'll be a good time. So make sure you come tonight for that. But in Acts chapter 7, Stephen the, the deacon, is he, this is a preaching deacon, uh, he's given a message, and it is completely uh, joined with all the prophecies that we are, we've been talking about because God is offering himself once again to the nation of Israel. He's showing his love, but this time he is manifesting it very clearly through the person of Jesus Christ. There's no more, uh, no more allusions to it. Jesus Christ is resurrected, is being preached, and, and uh, Stephen is presenting this to the leadership of the nation of Israel. For time's sake, and we've already covered the book of Acts, you can go back and listen to that, those messages in Acts 7, but, but for time's sake, I'm just going to skip across some of these verses. In verse 2, he deals with uh, you know, just the earthly fathers. He says, men and brethren and fathers, so he's talking to everybody there that's an elder, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father, Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Cana. In verse 11, he says, now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our father's found no sustenance, right? So now he's talking about their fathers that were in Egypt. Uh, and then he says in verse 12, and, but when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And, and then he comes on down in verse 15 and says, so Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. Again, he's speaking to those patriarchs. In verse 32, he says, uh, saying, I am the God of the of." Thy fathers, the God, and here it comes, Abraham of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold, right? <clears throat> and so when he realized that, that Jehovah, uh, this God that I am, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he realized who he was talking to. Now, in verse 38, and I want to slow it down here. Verse 38, now let's look at this just for a moment. He says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So the same God that spoke to <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob gave lively oracles, which is the Old Testament, to us. And of course, he's historically, he's dealing with the nation of Israel. The, the, the Sanhedrin are standing there. He's saying, hey, God has given us his word. And he goes on to say, and it came through the fathers. In verse 39, he says, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust <coughs> but but thrust him from them now notice this and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt well, wh where did they do that <coughs> i thought they came out of egypt successfully right well they did go back to egypt right they, they in their heart they went back to the world and they did depend on egypt too historically as they got to the end of those days uh, the ten tribes of the north made an allegiance with Egypt, and that, that put a nail in their coffin as the Assyrians came in and destroyed them. But that's another story. So <clears throat> the point is simply this. Um, the, the, the nation of Israel here is being referenced to their fathers and their relationship. So we see there were some good fathers that were faithful fathers, but yet there's also other fathers who weren't, and those are the very ones that we're seeing addressed in the book of Malachi, the very ones that Stephen was addressing. And, and, he was likening them to those fathers, right? You can either be a good father or you can be a bad father is what he's saying. Which do you want to be? You want to be like your good daddy 
uh, the ones that like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who believed the word of God and followed the word of God? Or do you want to be like your bad daddy, right? The other daddies, the other fathers of Israel who went back on the word of God and they acted and they did the same things as the world. So there's no distinction between, between what they are doing in their relationship and their religion, which they had plenty of, <clears throat> and the world. You get what I'm saying? There's a lot of worldly Christians today. You can't tell them from, you can't tell them from anything. <coughs> they, they, that has been popular the last 20 years. Why not? Let's all act like the world so we can draw people in. You know what that's done for the church, don't you? It's made us just basically worthless or saltless, right? Where there's no salt, there's no impact. There's no preservation. And we're to be salt and light. We are to be different. We are to be a peculiar people. We're not to be weirdos. We're going to be weird because we're following Christ. So anyway, I'm getting a little fired up and talking about stuff that's not in my notes again. So, <coughs> so the point is simply this. He's likening them to that. Now in verse 44, the Bible goes on to say, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion as he had seen. He attributes uh, the fathers of the tabernacle, verse 45, which are also our fathers that came after, uh, brought in with Jesus in the possession of the Gentiles, uh, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. All right, so now let's wrap it up in verse 51 and 52. This is the last two mentions in this text. It has so many mentions of the fathers. Now, this is, this is what gets Stephen killed, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in, here it comes, heart. What are we talking about, Malachi? Heart issues. God's heart for us, do we have a heart for him? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Yeah, you've done the circumcision that's of the body, but not of the heart. And ears, <coughs> you don't have circumcised ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your, here it comes, fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets, prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, in whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, fathers is mentioned 11 times in one chapter, in one sermon by the deacon Stephen. And here Stephen masterfully connects the current fathers uh, of Israel to the historic and ancient prophetic fathers of Israel, Israel and that is ultimately why they killed him. He preached a message that, that they, like the fathers, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob of Israel, have rejected God's word in rejecting Jesus as the Christ. Right. So they, he, there's a contrast. Jesus made the same contrast in John and, and made the Pharisees crazy. When he's like, well, you know, um, <coughs> Abraham never treated me the way he treats you. you're, you're treating me. They're like, whoa, you're saying, you're, you know, you're not that old. You're saying you're God. He's like, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, and they just, they just couldn't deal with that. You know, the, the key of being a Christian in the New Testament is replacing your fathers of the past with the Father in heaven. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a father-son relationship or a father-daughter relationship, obviously, with your earthly father. That's all good. But at the end of the day, <coughs> if you really want to have a family relationship with your mem family members, you all need to be finding Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and having a new father in heaven. Some people think, well, I was just born a Christian. No, you weren't. You're born a sinner by nature. You must be born again to be, have the father in heaven be your father. Okay, so that's, the, that's, that's just the inspirational application. All right, you guys got that? Of the word father. So let's talk a little bit about the doctrinal application <coughs> in the time we got remaining. Doctrinally, 
God is teaching the children of Israel in the Mosaic dispensation, which is in force up to the time of Christ's death, and will be back in force, uh, force, I'm sorry, not force, back in force the day the church is caught up in the clouds at the rapture, and through the seven-year period of the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation, and then also the law will be in force during the millennium, which is a different dispensation. So having said that, God has given the church the cheat sheet through the mysteries revealed through the Apostle Paul. There are seven mysteries, and I don't have time to get into them, but tonight I will touch on them briefly uh, so you can come back and get those there. But um, the the greatest thing, or one of the greatest things in relation to this message that we can understand is in the New Testament regarding what God is really doing with this subject of Israel and their fathers. And it's found in Romans chapter 11 and verse 28. Romans 11, 28, really Romans 9 through 11 is a a thesis by Paul on how God's going to restore Israel uh, after the church age. And so in Romans chapter 11, verse 28, he says, As concerning the gospel, they, being the nation of Israel, are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the, here it is, the father's sake. Those same fathers that we're talking about, the same ones that Jesus defined, that that Stephen defined. If you go back to the Old Testament, it's abundantly clear who the fathers are. Now, a Calvinist will, will read this and get it all twisted around the axle and miss the clear context. Uh, that God is revealing through Paul how a remnant of Israel will be restored in the coming tribulation. That's what Paul is talking about so clearly you can't miss it unless somebody has beguiled your mind. I don't have the time this morning to get into all those nuances, but a casual read of Romans 9 through 11 will lead you to the same conclusion that Paul came to. You say, what might that be? Well, it's in chapter 11 and verse 25 before we got to that verse. This is what Paul said. For I would not, brethren, now brethren, he's talking to us, those that are born again, Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter, new creatures in Christ. He's like, hey, brethren, this is what I need you to know. I, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So what that means is he's not going to hide this, he's going to reveal it. He's not wanting us to be ignorant. And he says, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, what is he talking about there, blind in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in? Well, there's a very big danger, and it's very popular today, to take the promises that God has given to Israel and claim them to ourselves as the church. The only thing we claim from Israel is their Messiah, right? That's also our inheritance. We aren't claiming the Middle East. Uh, They can have the nation of Israel, right? They can have their property. God's going to give that to them. I ain't getting in the middle of that. I got a whole nother inheritance because I'm a son of God, which is a whole nother study we'll get into when we get to 1 John. But the, the blindness in part has happened to Israel. Well, great. Until when? Well, great. I'm glad you asked. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So there's two phrases in Romans 9 through 11. One's the times of the Gentiles. One's the fullness of the Gentiles. So the fullness of the Gentiles, there's coming a day when God is done offering his grace to the Gentile nations through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood and, and the finished work of Jesus. You say, what? Yeah. There's a t- time, great, you, you know, you've heard it. Grace, grace is free, right? But there's limits to how long it's offered. Get in now. Because there's coming a day when Jesus is going to call up the church and we go right back into that dispensation. And what's going to happen, the di- Mosaic dispensation, the, the, under the law of Moses and what the Bible teaches in Daniel, what's called Daniel's 70th week. And so the time to get saved, when we say today is the day of salvation, we are not kidding. It's not just a cute phrase that preachers like to say to motivate people emotionally, right? Like watching videos of soldiers coming home. Now, this is deadly serious. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when anybody 
red or white, black, green. I mean, we live in social justice mania. What is that? What's the phrase now? The new term what we were listening to? What is it? Well, the woke, but anyway, there's a, there's a name for it. Um, it it's, a, it's a fancy name, but anyway, I forgot it, so it's probably God's goodness. So anyway, we live in this world of, of critical, of critical, yeah, thank you, critical race theory. Thank you, someone smart in the house. So, uh, <laughs> so there's critical race theory, right? And it's so, I mean, listen, everybody, it belies what the, the Bible teaches. What Paul said, um, this is so old, Paul was, was ripping into it on Mar- Mars Hill without a Bible in his hand. We're all of one blood. It's the bottom line. And our blood's messed up. And we need, we, need a new, we need a Savior. And that Savior redeemed us by his blood. And so everyone needs to be found in Christ, else uh, they're going to face judgment. All right, so, man, this is the age of grace. This is the time to receive the gospel while you can. God's offering it freely. You don't, have to, you don't earn your salvation. Right? You, don't, you just receive the gift of eternal life. So that's how we get saved, is by believing what Jesus Christ... We believe in the, the work that Jesus did for us. There's work that was done. It was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. That work was done. It was perfect. It's complete. So we put our faith in his finished work. So we call upon the name of the Lord, and we're saved. All right, so what God is doing is, is revealing that the nation of Israel, right? They're not all going to get in on that, but God has all these promises lined up through the Old Testament. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he just adds more uh, clarity to all of those things. He gives more, he brings, he goes from black and white to high def and gives them even more details about what he's going to be doing with the nation of Israel and the kingdom of heaven. And then in the New Testament, as we get to Revelation, we get even more information about what's going to happen. And so we got all of this data, and what do you do with it? Well, Paul says, this is what you do with it. Just know this God will fulfill his promises to Israel. So I get, I do get it. In the dark ages, and you know, when Rome's in charge of the world from 300 A.D. Well, they were in charge of the world before Jesus came, but when the Roman Catholic Church came into vogue in uh, 360 A.D., all the way up through the Reformation, right? Everybody, everyone was thinking, well, God didn't really mean those promises to Israel. I mean, Israel's been dispersed since 70 A.D. I mean, that's got to be some sort of spiritual connotation. It's got to be an allegorical, allegorical interpretation. Right for those critical text guys, and uh, and so I get it. They kind of thought, well, maybe he didn't really mean literally Israel was going to be a nation again, because how could he fulfill all those promises? I mean, Israel's not even in their property, and well, you know, 600 A.D. the Muslims got it, and then you know, and then the Roman Catholics get it, and then there's a big battle over it, and then you know, all right. So 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Boom. Uh, 1918, they get the land. 1918, they become a nation. Uh, 2018, they get Jerusalem. Now is the capital, just like the Bible says. And it's all coming down. All right, so we believe the Bible. We understand that. But what's that mean? Well, that means that God's doing something with his people, Israel. But we're still here. Right, we are still here. That means we need to be preaching the gospel. That's why we just had a vision conference saying, finish his work. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is coming today, but he could. He could. He may not come for another 100 years, but I doubt it. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> wasn't my stomach. Okay. So the King James Bible has a way of making these things clear for you. So, so what happens is he says, don't be, don't be replaced in Israel. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles came in. For well over a thousand years, that had to, that had to twist people around the, ankle, the axle. But I don't know how, if you've been alive since 1948 to today, 1967 forward, 
you could even think that the Bible is even kidding about any of this. The Bible, you take the Bible literally until you can't, because it's going to be fulfilled just as God says. So the church doesn't replace Israel. There is no passage in the scripture that would ever indicate that, especially if you study and authorize the English version. The King James Bible will not allow you to get away with stealing God's promises to Israel. It forces you to rightly divide the word of God. So if you don't rightly divide the word of God, uh, you will miss the clear and obvious mystery revealed to, the, to the, the church, and you'll miss the truth. There is a reason in the church age we need to apply ISAB, this church age in particular, ISAB that we might see. In the coming tribulation, the nation of Israel will have a remnant turn their hearts to, the father, <coughs> to their father's faith, and the father's hearts will be turned to them. They will receive the promises and the power promised, uh, though it will be given through great tribulation. So this should not surprise anyone. Jesus spoke plainly of the sufferings necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven during his public ministry, and he has given the complete picture of his coming kingdom and judgments in the four gospels. To, the, to this day, the Jews that are blinded won't read, read them. But in the coming tribulation, a remnant will. And they're going to look at the word of God, and they're going to pick up from Malachi and go forward and realize they missed their Messiah and start reading all these details and go, whoa! And they will be that remnant that Paul's talking to in Romans chapter, in that elect in Romans chapter 11, that elect group that have the faith of their fathers because they have the heart. They have the heart of their fathers. And so they will follow the law of Moses. They will receive and follow the two witnesses, even to the death. Remember, that's how Malachi concludes Moses and Elijah. There's, it's not an accident. The remnant of them will endure to the end and be saved, Matthew 24, 13. By the way, there will also be a remnant of Gentiles who do the same, uh, who have not heard the gospel in this dispensation. A remnant of this elect group will die a martyr's death as well. Not all of them are going to skate through and be caught up at the end of the tribulation like 144,000. There's going to be some that die. Uh, in the tri many will die as martyrs. They'll be beheaded. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, it speaks to those who, who, who have been martyred, and they're under the altar, and they're crying out to God, when are you going to bring your judgment? You know what they're asking? When are you going to bring the curse on the earth that we talked about last week? Because judgment is due. I've been reading a book about, you know, you know, the right way to respond, Romans 13 and all that with the powers that be. And I'm reading all this stuff, and a lot of it's based in the, the, the context of the revolution. But, man, I tell you, one of the things that people got to understand is this nation, unless it repents, we're in trouble. Your constitutional rights aren't going to mean diddly when you're out killing babies, changing genders, living like Sodom and Gomorrah. What are you talking about? That's what we got to repent of. Now, I'm not saying you guys. I mean, hopefully. Uh, and, it, and you know what? If someone's caught in that web, maybe they're watching you online. You know what? That's what Jesus has come to say. I, I have loved you. I've paid for that. Get on the ark now while you can. Because I will not tarry forever. My judgment is coming. So biblical definition of children. If we, if we, want, <clears throat> if we went to all the trouble to find the biblical definition of fathers, it would be wise to do the same for children. So this study doesn't take long. As the nation of Israel is commonly called children, 647 times. Uh, interestingly enough, there are 14 of those uh, in the New Testament of the 647. So you wouldn't be surprised to find uh, God revealing that a remnant of the children of Israel will be saved in the coming tribulation, which we saw in Romans 9, 27 through 28. Uh, <clears throat> it says, Isaiah, who also uh, crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant 
shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. It's too bad many today can't see the faithful remnant has been elected to be saved, right, in the tribulation. When you can conflate the Christian salvation with Israel's salvation, you lose your eternal security and you lose your inheritance. So the bi- biblical definition of the curse is also important. The last word that we see there. Go back to last week's message and you get a pretty good understanding. We just looked at Revelation chapter 11. But however, you can also learn a great deal from God's word in Deuteronomy 29, 19 through 29. In that passage, God is telling Israel what happens to them if they choose not to obey his word. God promised a curse just as he brings healing when he returns at his second coming. He holds. <coughs> he also holds the right to withhold water to those who rebel in the millennium. In the coming millennium, in Zechariah 14, 7, it says, It shall be uh, that whosoever will not come upon all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord uh, of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. God's got that kind of power. He can turn off the water when he wants to. And he controls the earth. That's actually what the coming tribulation is going to be all about, by the way. Uh, If you haven't noticed it, that's what it's about now. We already see it. Global governance wants control of what? The earth. And its population, the water, the people, the carbon footprint, all of that. The Antichrist will put that on steroids. Ultimately, Jesus Christ will come back, take it back, and say, no, that's all mine. And uh, we get to come with him, which is awesome. All right, so Deuteronomy 29, verse 22. So that the generation to, uh, to, the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you and the stranger shall come from uh, a far land shall say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sickness which the Lord laid upon it, this is if they're disobedient, that the whole land thereof, is brimstone and salt, and burneth that it is not known, nor beareth nor, uh, bear, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, the blessing of Israel's property is part of the blessing of God's. Uh, <coughs> Adama and Zeb- Zeboam, which are the towns around Sodom and Gomorrah, the Dead Sea area, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all the nations shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto this land? <coughs> what meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then the men shall say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their, what? Fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, uh, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the, there it is, curses that are written in this book. And if you go back and read Deuteronomy in its entirety there, you can find all the curses. Isaiah makes uh, um, this curse, uh, brings this, I'm sorry, uh, curse together, just one curse, just like the end of Malachi, into one short sentence in Isaiah 24, 6. And listen to this. It says, Therefore hath the curse, the curse, devour the earth, and they that dwell therein and uh, <coughs> dwell therein are desolate. The abomination that makes desolate spoken of daniel the prophet now matthew 24 second thessalonians 2 daniel chapter 9 it says therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left you know why because there's a remnant there's an elect group both of jews and gentiles churches nowhere to be found until we come back with jesus now i know i'm going over some people's heads and let me just make a commercial right here you come to a church and we're about discipleship you don't walk out of the crib and understand your daddy completely. It takes some matur- maturity. By the way, too much knowledge puffs up. 
right? You've got to balance knowledge with charity. If this kind of information doesn't drive us out of this building to go win people to Christ, to make more disciples, that, man, then we are just totally like the Pharisees. I mean, completely. Full of knowledge that puffs up, but not willing to do anything with it. Guys, this, this is like a fire alarm going off. Get out of the building. Get out of the building. It's like Noah building the ark, man. Get on the ark while you can. The only difference is, is we need we get to invite everybody that will, will receive it, praise God. And so the Jews who loved God's word in the days of Malachi's prophecy didn't have to wait for the New Testament to figure out what God meant by a curse. Not only did they have it defined for them in Deuteronomy 29 and other passages, they had a, a prophecy from Daniel that tied the curse to their obedience. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 11, the Bible says, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Certainly God had judged them and put them into captivity, and that in, in essence was a curse. But there's more going on here, as God has also promised to restore Israel, and he did restore Israel. Israel would face types of Antichrist, like Antiochus Epiphanes, just as Israel faced types of Antichrist with Adolf Hitler. However, Antiochus Epiphanes was much more precise in his fulfillment than Hitler. But he was not the final fulfillment. That will come in the midst of Daniel's 70th week, as the prophecy is clear in Daniel 9.27. And so I'm not going to read it this morning, but you can look that up. So praise God for his mercy to Israel. Even though they have broken their covenant with God, God won't break his covenant with them. And it's because of this we're saved. Because of their disobedience, we got saved. And God was able to take the gospel to the uttermost. God won't break his covenant with us. <clears throat> it's because of this we are saved and have been grafted into the kingdom of God by, by faith in Jesus Christ, by the faith of Jesus Christ too. So now we are appointed, <clears throat> not appointed to wrath, I should say rather, because we recognize God's wrath was placed upon Jesus Christ. And we started there in Galatians, the curse of the law. All those curses, plural or the curse, both coming in the future, the curse that comes with the abomination of desolations. Listen, all that has been taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why we're not appointed to wrath. So Galatians 3.13 says at the end of, of 3.14 says that the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The day you got saved and you trusted Christ as your Savior, literally the Spirit of God comes in you. That's one of the things we teach in discipleship, right, is the indwelling Holy Ghost. Your soul is sealed until the day of redemption. So realize the love of the Father. It's like, man, Brian, you're over, I am over time, but I'm going to finish. Because this is the end of the whole thing. <clears throat> realize the love of the Father. Next time you read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Realize the love of the Father in heaven. We're talking about the fathers, but there's a Father, the Father, capital F. When you see those human fathers, they all fail. I'm a human father, I fail. Every father fails, but the Father in heaven doesn't fail. When you saw those fathers reuniting with their, their children. And that's just a picture of the bond that the Godhead has. What sacrifice it was for Jesus to step out of the third heaven, be made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering death so he could reconcile the world. That's a manifestation of the Father's love. Can you imagine the love of the Father? And can you imagine the, the Son 
Yes, you can, because you read it in the Bible. Jesus was sweating drops of blood because he did not want to become sin for us. But yet he became sin for us who knew no sin. Why? Because he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. The perfect picture of obedience. That whosoever believeth, whosoever, not the Jew, not the Gentile, not the guy who was a good guy or the guy who's a bad guy, whosoever, whatever prodigal, whatever self-righteous, whoever, whosoever believeth upon him should not be saved or should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus had to trust his father's plan and purpose to be to, for it to work out perfectly. It was not, as a human, it was antithetical. It was not sensible. But God's love doesn't make sense. His love is the key. It's what overturns everything. Do you believe that Jesus did that for you? Amen. When you think about it, man, Jesus did that. And now have you received that Jesus has done that for you? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Then someday, man, we're going to see him face to face. It's going to be a reunion. It's going to be awesome. Jim's there. Manuel's there. Potter's there. There's a, Amy was telling me yesterday, I think a lot of them are going home before us. Right? As Joe McKeg said, he's leaving us here to turn out the lights. The good ones are going home. So praise the Lord when we get there. Man, it's going to be awesome. You shouldn't perish. You shouldn't. You should have everlasting life. Just like Israel should have listened to the prophets. They should have listened to Malachi. They should have feared his name, and with that, they would see the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in his wings. So recognize your relationship with the Father. We're going to transition from Malachi to the book of 1 John. Not today. That would be too much. But we're going to learn there that God says to those that are saved, Behold, get a look at this, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. You know what it says? You're now. Right now, right now, if you're saved, you are. Right now, even if you're a lady, right now, <laughs> you are the sons of God. Now, I'll unpack all that in messages yet to come. But Christian, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you. God wants to do a work in us. It won't all be apparent until after he comes for us. But you know what? The work ought to be evident today. It ought, to be, it ought to look like faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, guys, I just want you to know, I know some of this is like drinking out of a fire hose. But I just want to encourage you to get, make this book, make this book God's mind. Make it your mind, right? Make his heart. Let's make, not just you, me too, all of us. Let's make his heart our heart. Because that's what's going to make the difference, man. That's what's going to get people saved. That's what's going to get people discipled. And that's what's going to feed the flock of God. Now, a flock that's been well fed, what do we got to go do? We got to go work it off, else we'll get fat. Right? And I know all about that. Right? Getting fat. So we need to make sure that we go and work out what we know about God. So on the back of your handouts, I asked you, what did you learn today? What practically can you take away? What has God spoken to you about? I pray when you leave here, you'll execute on it. Let's stand in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this morning, I pray, God, that your good hand would be upon your church. Thank you for those working with the lambs right now in the children's ministry that have gone over because of me. And I, I, Lord, I pray, God, you give them grace and mercy. 
So what I pray is we tarry just one more moment with uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. This morning, I just got to ask, if you're here, this has been a salvation message. And if God has brought you here and you need to be saved, today is the day of salvation. You can do a couple things. You can step out right now. We got people at the altar that would be happy to show you in the Bible uh, how you can know that you have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. They'll show you in the Bible what you need to do to be assured of salvation. If that's you, man, uh, God is talking to you. He brought this message, this entire message for you today. Maybe you're watching online. You need to email us, get a hold of us. But if you're listening right now and you're like, Brian, I know I need to be saved. I need to grab hold of this grace that you're talking about. You're like, Brian, I don't have the courage to step anywhere. Could you, would you just raise your hand where you are right now? Just raise it high. Anyone at all? Raise it high where I can see it. Anyone at all? I'm not going to embarrass you. Let me go. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to. I'm just going to ask you one more time. To my right, in the middle, if you need to be saved. We've had some people responding today. Anyone else? Man, if, if it's for one soul, praise God. Jesus died to save sinners, of whom I'm chief, and I'm thankful he died for me. How many of you this morning in your heart, you just know, I am saved. Hallelujah. Amen. You know it like you know it. Amen. You know you're going to be caught up in the air. Hallelujah to you. Praise God. You don't have that assurance. You need to get it. You need to get it today. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for your church. Lord, in a group this size, we have lots of needs. Lord, there's medical needs. I was thinking about the Caleb Parrott's son, and he's went in heart surgery yesterday. I think about Marco Esteban. And Lord, I think about, uh, you know, that's the biggest deal. When you lose a spouse, death, lose a parent, that's, that's tough. But, Lord, it's the gospel that gives us hope. We don't sorrow without hope. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray. <clears throat> that you would minister to the needs of your church. Lord, I, I haven't done the, the greatest job of trying to make this simple. I pray, God, that you would distill the things that have been thrown out <clears throat> in a way that people can walk out of here with handles, that it would move us like those children were moved to run up and grab onto their fathers and just love and hug on them. It was heart to heart. Lord, I pray, God, that you would move the knowledge of your word from our head to our heart, that you would take the things that seem complex and make them practical, but that we would never ever forget your love for us. And Lord, may we be faithful to you. Lord, we all fail. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is for. Lord, may, may the preponderance of our heart be that of faithfulness. Lord, not all the fathers were faithful. Many were faithful. And Lord, may we be like those fathers. May we be faithful and love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we'll thank you and praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. to children so it's vacation bible school also invest bible study the women's bible study will be on tuesday and thursday nights at the regular time if you have questions see lisa lockwood 
who can answer any questions about that. Uh, Leela Burton just wanted to thank the church for the cards and and many um, uh, well wishes of, of love and support at the recent funeral of, of her daughter-in-law, uh, Leah Dahl. So she just wanted to, to share that. Uh, tonight, as Pastor Brian mentioned, we have uh, the deacon installation, which is a very important time in our church in supporting the body and, and, and taking care of the body as, as we have those men who will be installed to serve the church. So tonight at 6, that will be a, a great time. And last but not least, I wanted to uh, mention uh, the Jalawak prayer uh, team. So today, right after service in the library, if you're not part of a prayer support team, this is a, a very, um, a, a very uh, tangible way to reach out to the world uh, through prayer. And uh, you heard from Dan Jalowick this, this past vision conference, but Team Zambia, we have a few people who have signed up, but if, if you want to go, we'll have a very brief meeting to kick off uh, that prayer team uh, today after service. So we'll, we'll, it'll just be a, a few minutes, uh, I promise. So uh, as we close, I just wanted to, just, just thinking about this message, you know, it, it's about restoration. It's about relationships. Um, and, and in fact, that's what the whole Bible is about, is relationship with the Lord. And uh, it's often been said that at, at the end of a person's life, they don't think about stuff. They don't think about the work they, they did, although God uses both of those things in our life. What they think about is relationship, right? Um, you know, I was holding my granddaughter, my new baby granddaughter yesterday, and, and that's, that's the stuff that's important. And the relationships that God gives us with others, but, but also his church and most importantly, himself. So this message that you heard today was about restoration. It's about relationship with, with the Father. And uh, it, it's about, the whole Bible is about God restoring the lost image of Christ in man. That's what it comes to. And you have an opportunity to participate in that. And that's what this message was about. First in salvation with the opportunity to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ through the cross and evangelism and discipleship. God's given us a chance right now to participate that. And then a little bit later in the rapture, the restoration of, of those who have gone before us. And then finally in the day of the Lord, we have a chance to participate in the restoration that God is doing with the nation of Israel. We get to be a part in all of those restorations in that relationship. But we've got to act upon that. And so I want you to, to think about that as you go out uh, the door today. It's not just sitting in a pew at church. It, God wants to use us only if we're willing to act. So um, I know that's adding on a little bit more preaching to what Brian had, but I wanted to put some handles on that or God uh, just knocked on my heart to, to say that. So let's pray and be dismissed. Be, be dismissed. And then go on and and uh, and see how we can be used to restore, um, be used in restoration. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us through your word, through your spirit, to be involved with the restoration that you are doing in our lives and the lives of others. Lord, take us and use us. Send us out today as we're used to showcase your love 
for others. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.